Hey folks, thanks for checking out Missio Church in Manor, Iowa. You are listening to audio recorded at our Sunday morning service. If you'd like any more information on the gospel or would like to learn more about Missio Church, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Missio Mount Air. All right, good morning. So I have... uh... Uh, just want to set something up here because uh, uh, I'm not going to be preaching this morning. We have someone else. It's, it's actually a really exciting day in the life of our church uh, on a number of levels, and it has far greater implications than just who's going to be preaching here in just a minute. But we want to be a congregation that exists for something bigger than itself, and we have three kind of or four kind of big things that we want to set out for how we get at our mission and our vision. So we have our vision, which is our why. We have our mission, which is our what we're going to do, which is what Nina read. We have our core values that guide us, God, truth, love, and mission. We have some important convictions that rise from the scriptures that guide us. One of those is whatever God's going to do in the world, he's primarily going to do it through all of Christ's people not just through paid professionals. Like one of the things that grieves me as a pastor is when you hear people say, well, I don't need to share my faith. That's what we pay you to do. It's like, well, you don't know the Bible then. Uh, or that, that I'm the broker of your faith because I'm a pastor. No, I'm not. I'm an equipper. My mandate by the scriptures is to equip the saints for the work of ministry out of Ephesians chapter 4. And so the four kind of big hows that, that we look at for how we want to accomplish our mission is, number one, we want to be intentional with our geography. We actually want to reach every man, woman, and child in Mount Air with the gospel. We want to uh, help form Christ's people in distinctive marks of discipleship so that we are able to, to take our faith and grow in it on our own and around our own dinner tables and as we do that as a family. And so we take that really seriously. That's why we want to call you into things like small groups throughout the week and different things. Uh, another way is that we want to be faithful to preach the gospel here. We believe in truth and we want to herald and stand for ancient biblical truth in what we do. And the fourth way is we want to raise up leaders We want to raise up scores of leaders that will lead in this body and that will go out and plant new churches. Believe it or not, I have a hope that some of you will leave here someday to go plant a church somewhere in southwest Iowa or around the world. I actually pray that for you, so get ready, Ruggles, I'm telling you. But but that's part of our prayer, that, that, that we're not just a gathering church, we're a sending church. That we want to raise up more people, and today is a is, is, is a really cool moment because we have a young man that's going to stand up here and give his first sermon ever this morning. And it is also a bit of an emotional thing for me because it, it does happen to be my oldest son, Evan, who's going to be preaching this morning. And I tried to stay out of this and really put this more in Darren's hands and with guys who are in her preaching cohort's hands because uh, it, it's just, a, a, you know, I don't want this to look like, oh, you know, Pastor Jim's son is coming up to preach. No, it's because we believe in this young man. We believe in what God's doing in, in through this young man. And so I want to bring you up, Evan, and I want to, want to pray for you before, uh, before you preach. Let's pray for him, church. Andrew, you 
Dear Heavenly Father, we know that you are doing a great work here, that you are moving in a special and unique way in the lives of the people of Southwest Iowa, Lord. And, and in that, we raise up a voice that you have, you have raised up, that you have brought to yourself, that you, by your grace you've brought near and you have given wisdom beyond his years and, and care. Lord, we pray that you would be on him this morning, Lord. We pray that, that your word would go forth through him as it has gone forth through the others who have stood up here and preached, Lord, that, that your great grace would be proclaimed and you only. And, Lord, that, that hearts would move, those who don't believe would be turned, and that you would, you would just pour your grace on this place through the voice of Evan. Lord, that we would all be brought closer to the truth of your gospel, to the goodness of your word, to the grace and mercy you have for every man, every woman, and every child, should they turn and seek you, Lord. Turn hearts to this young man as he stands before us, Lord. And in all things, may your mission go out, strengthen your church in this place. Pray in Jesus' name. All right, everybody, buckle your seatbelts. <laughs> we don't know how this is going to go. Like I said, it's, it's my first time, so, you know, I'm just glad you all are here. Because, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not me who's driving the mission to God. You know, there's a good reason for that. So, good morning, everybody. You know, it's, it's great to see all of you here, as I said. And, you know, throughout my life, I've had the privilege to grow up in, in healthy church communities. I have been blessed to see God move in the lives of people in uh, the west coast of Florida and in Syracuse and Buffalo, New York, and now right here in Mount Air, Iowa. You know, I've been surrounded by faithful men and women who seek to worship Jesus with all of their lives and who took the time to teach me to worship him as well. It is out of that love for Jesus that my parents, all those families, you know, the Ionatas were a big part of that. I was in kids ministry when, when Andrew was my teacher back in the day in, in Missio. <laughs> and and uh, so they took time, you know, to teach me to worship God and to encourage me in his word. You know, the fact that I've been given the privilege to preach this morning really has nothing to do with me, but it is a testament that God continues to work in and through his people. I am only giving a sermon today because for my whole life, faithful men and women who love Jesus took the time to discipline me and disciple me in his ways. So to all those who have put effort in discipling me, you know, think of my parents, the Ayanadas, you know, many of you in this room who I've gotten to know over the past couple years, thank you. But ultimately, all thanks be to God, because he's the only one who's really truly faithful. Because when we were dead in our sin, he sent his son Jesus who came and died as a willing sacrifice and then rose from the dead so that by believing in him, our relationship with God is made right and we can have life in his name. I also want you to know that it is not my goal today to communicate from a position of great wisdom or from a position of authority. I know that I have much to learn about life and the scriptures. And there are many of you in this room who know more than I do and there are men in this room who I look up to as examples for me in the faith. It is my goal this morning, however, 
to have God's word be the ultimate authority because that's exactly what it is. And so I simply want to be faithful in communicating the truth about his word. So thank you all for bearing with me. And, you know, as I said before, lower your expectations a little bit. (laughs) So let's pray as I get started. Father God, thank you for this day. And Lord, thank you for, you know, allowing us to gather here in your name, God. And Lord, I pray that, you know, as I preach this morning, Lord, that you would get me out of the way and that you would communicate your truth this morning, God. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to receive, and minds to comprehend the wondrous things out of your word, God. And it is in the name of your son, Jesus, I pray. Amen. So for the past several months here at Missio Church, uh, we've been walking through the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis is, you know, it's the first book in the Bible. It's kind of where everything we see in seed form, you know, kind of all the major doctrines of the Bible. And so Genesis starts off with creation, right? And we learn that God made all things for his glory, and then he specifically made man in his image, after his likeness, to be his representatives in the world, and to share a perfect relationship with God. But we all know what happens next, right? When Eve is tempted by the servant, by the, not the servant, the serpent, <laughs> you know, Adam fails to do his duty and simply just stands there as Eve breaks the one rule that God gave to them. All he told them to do was not to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. He gave them every other tree to eat, and they broke that one rule. And thus sin entered the world. Because of sin, the world that God made to be very good was now riddled with evil. Because of sin, man, who is made in the image of God to glorify him and to be his representative in the world, now has views that are twisted and warped, and we, by nature, now seek only to please ourselves. Before, man's dwelling place was near to God and in perfect relationship with him, but now, our desire is to please ourselves and be as far away from him as possible. It looks like evil has won. But God had a plan. In Genesis 3.15, we see a promise that one of Eve's descendants will crush the head of the serpent who tempted her. God is coming to save his people. Fast forward a few chapters to Genesis 12, and we see God, God call a man named Abram and his wife Sarai, right? whom God later names Abraham and Sarah. God tells Abraham to leave everything he's ever known and go to a place he's never been, and that he will be made into a great nation through which the whole world will be blessed. What's even crazier is that the scriptures tell us that Abraham and Sarah were barren. They didn't have any children, but God promises that one day they will have a son. One through whom the, the whole promise of God will pass. You know, God is building this nation to bring this people back to himself, right? And the Lord fulfills his promise in Abraham, and Isaac is born. This barren couple advanced in years has a son. God was faithful to them. And, you know, we see God continue to be faithful as, you know, Isaac being born in Genesis chapter 21, Isaac would go on to have two sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau the firstborn. Jacob the younger. Esau is Isaac's favorite son. You know, and this was a culture where the oldest son, 
you know, would get everything. You know, I wish it was still that way. Sorry. <laughs> but, but Esau was, was Isaac's favorite son, but God didn't see it that way. We see God choose Jacob, right? But Jacob, however, he's, he's kind of a trickster. He steals his brother's birthright, and then with the help of his mother, he steals Esau's blessing as well. Esau's not happy with this for obvious reasons, and this causes Jacob to flee for his life to his mother's family in Haran. During Jacob's journey to Haran, which I believe was several hundred miles on foot, you know, we learn that God chooses to pass this promise through Jacob. So we got Abraham, then Isaac, and now Jacob. You know, God plans to work through Jacob so that his covenant with Abraham and Isaac will continue through him. You know, last week, my dad talked about God's providence and his guiding hand seen in Jacob's lives in his arrival to Haran and you know, his marriage to, to uh, Laban's two daughters. You know, throughout Genesis so far, we see that God is on a mission. Ever since the fall of man in Genesis 3, we've seen that God is on a mission to bring his people back and to build a nation where they will be his people and he will be their God. Here in Genesis, God can be seen taking action to restore the relationship that was broken as he faithfully keeps the covenant he made with Abraham and continues to work towards building this nation. If you have your copy of God's Word this morning, we're going to be reading Genesis 29, verses 31 to 30, verses 23. Feel free to turn there with me. Uh, and this is the Word of our Lord. I'll give you just a second. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. And she conceived again and bore a son, and said, Because the Lord has heard I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And again she conceived and bore a son. Now this time, and, and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son, and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, Give me children, or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, Here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her, that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son, then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. 
Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, Good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, Happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. In the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please, give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, Then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came in from the field that evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterward, she bore a daughter, and her name was Dina. Then Lord remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. What a mess. You know, right off the bat, we, we notice a suboptimal family situation. <laughs> we see here that, that Leah is jealous of Rachel because Rachel is loved by Jacob. But Rachel envies her sister Leah because she keeps on having sons. Bilhah and Zilpah, Rachel and Leah's servants, are thrown in the mix as, as pawns in this rivalry between, uh, between childbearing, between the sisters. And Jacob seems to just be there kind of hanging out, doing whatever. Like he's, he's not really active in this, right? While his wives struggle against each other. Throughout this messy family situation, God is seemingly in the background. But I assure you, God's hand is working in this passage. You know, in this passage, we see that God is moving his perfect plan forward using imperfect people. God is moving his perfect plan forward using imperfect people. This is good news, church, because imperfect people happen to be the only ones available. <laughs> right? The fact that God is able to work through our mess and out of that bring about his intended purposes is simply amazing. If God can work through people, as messed up as the ones that we just read about, people as broken as you and me, what can he not do? Right? The fact that he's still able to, to guide all of history towards his intended end. This passage is another big step in God's plan to rescue his people from their sin and restore the relationship that he had with them that was broken and to make all things new. You know, in previous passages in Genesis, we've seen God go on, you know, accomplishing this mission using some unlikely people, right? And that theme is present in this text as well. Here we see that God moves his mission forward using people that we wouldn't pick. Nobody else would either. You see, in Genesis 12, God chooses an elderly, childless man 
to be the patriarch of a great nation. Right? The birth of Isaac, you know, God fulfilled his promise to, to Abraham through the birth of Isaac and is faithful to him. You know, and later on, God chooses Isaac's younger son, Jacob, again, in a, in a culture where the oldest inherited everything, and that was his favorite. That looked like that was where it was going to go. But God changed the direction and said, no, we're going to go through Jacob and works through this kind of shyster to, to bring his promises about. And in the passage we read through today, God chooses an unloved wife. You know, the idea of God using the lowly and unlikely to shame the strong continues through the rest of Scripture. You know, we learned today that, you know, Leah, the unloved wife, is the mother of Jacob's fourth son, Judah. And it is through, you know, Judah's descendants, in Judah's descendants are several prophets, including Isaiah and kings like David and Solomon, and eventually the one who would fulfill every Old Testament promise, the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. See, God the reason God chooses to work through these unlikely people is so that it is Him alone who receives the glory. This can be clearly seen here in Genesis 30, verses 14 to 21, where Leah and Rachel negotiate an exchange of sorts. Right? We see, you know, we see this, these, Reuben brings these mandrakes, and you know, he, gives, he gives them to Leah, and they're, they're kind of bickering over these mandrakes. So what a mandrake is, is it's a, it's a root of a plant that kind of looks like the figure of a person, and it was believed in the ancient world to help barren women have children. You know, so that's why you know, they kind of want this so bad, right? And so after Rachel... The loved wife gets these mandrakes, which are supposed to help with conception. The hated wife has three more children, <laughs> two sons and a daughter. <laughs> you see, God was establishing the great nation he promised to Abraham in such a way that it could have only been his doing. All our efforts to find satisfaction apart from God will ultimately fail because we were not made to find satisfaction apart from him. And he will not share his glory with another. See, from the beginning, we were made for personal relationship with Him. God is our Creator, and therefore we are dependent on Him. If we are saved from our sin, God must, to be saved from our sin, God must be the one to do it, not our own effort. See, God is working to establish a people for His own possession. The work of saving belongs to God, but He has chosen to work through his people to do so. You know, this should be a source of, you know, it is, it is through our weakness that God is made to look strong. Right? God is, God is glorified here in our weakness, and it should be a source of great joy that those in Christ are being used to work God's mission because apart from him, we too are unlikely. We are unlikely to, to carry out God's work. It is only because of God's great love that he is guiding history in such a way that he has chosen ones, you know, can be redeemed. And if there's anything that these verses in Genesis convey, it's that we do in fact need redeemed. Right? We need not look no farther than our own lives to find brokenness. This world is not as it should be, which is why God is coming to fix it. See, God works through broken circumstances, but does not minimize their severity. In our text today, 
it's very plain to see that this family is a little dysfunctional. This is not in keeping with the way God intended for families to operate that he establishes in Genesis 1 and 2. It's important to note that this text is simply describing what happened. It is not in any way a prescriptive text. This passage, this passage is not a family model or an example to be copied. Right? But rather it is, it is God using the brokenness of the situation to show why his people need a savior. It's yet another reminder that this life is not as it should be. But through this mess, through this disastrous family dynamic, comes the biggest step we've read about so far in seeing God, you know, preparing his people to be a great nation. Eleven sons are born to Jacob here. God continues to be faithful to the covenant he made with Abraham. God promised Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars, and yet Abraham himself only has one legitimate son, Isaac. And Isaac himself only has two. And here we see 11 in God's perfect timing. These 11 sons would go on to be, you know, the 12 tribes of Israel from whom millions of people would be descendants from. These include prophets, kings, priests, and the coming Messiah the Savior of God's people, Jesus Christ. With all these children being born and all these descendants that would come from him, this is cause for great joy. But this text isn't very joyful, is it? It's full of jealousy and rivalry and misery. Leah, having given birth to six sons, still does not find favor in the eyes of her husband that she so desperately wants. She envies her sister's physical beauty and lives in constant unhappiness because her sister's loved while she's cast aside. When her sister gives Jacob a servant for a wife, Leah escalates the rivalry and does the same. She does, however, have some care for the things of the Lord and finds comfort in the fact that God saw her and took pity on her and he opened her womb. Rachel, on the other hand, seems to be less concerned with the things of the Lord at the beginning of the passage and demands that Jacob give her children, saying, give me children or I shall die. You know, this was a culture where, you know, a lot of your worth as a wife was determined by your ability to produce offspring for your husband. You know, it, this, it's very, you know, dehumanizing to that image of God that all, you know, that all life has value. So Rachel, you know, sees her only value in that she can have children and she can't. So she's just as angry as Leah, right? And so she says this, give me children or I shall die. And Jacob rightly tells her that it is God, not man, who opens the womb. You know, immediately after, uh, she gives Jacob her servant Bilhah and further complicates the situation. Now you got three wives in the mix, right? And then later, you know, Leah would add hers, so now there's four. And we see, you know, Immediately after she gives this, you know, it complicates the situation and Rachel barters with her sister over these mandrakes, which was this, you know, this belief, you know, it was a common belief in the day that these mandrakes, you know, helped with fertility, but they didn't. Right? These three attempts, these three vain attempts to gain children by Rachel show where her heart truly lied. She was more concerned with finding her worth in her children than in the Lord. But in these three vain attempts, we see her heart softened. 
we see God, you know, kind of use this to humble her, and he remembers her and opens her womb at the end, you know, with the birth of Joseph, who will one day save his family from a famine. And after giving birth to this first son, Joseph, however, she immediately wants another. You know, how often are we like this? How often do we seek meaning from this world? You know, this begs the question, where do you find true satisfaction? See, we're so easily misled by the shiny things of this world, aren't we? But these things are often found to let us down and to complicate things further. This is because true satisfaction can only be found in trusting in Jesus. In Genesis 3, after the fall, the seed was planted that one day a son, the Savior, would come and make all things new again. In the midst of brokenness, we see in this story and in our own lives a longing for that Savior. Jesus Christ is that Savior. Christ is the fulfillment of all of God's promises to Abraham. Jesus is a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. From this family that we see in Genesis 30, this messed up, whack family, you know, that God is preparing to make into a nation. You know, Jesus is from the line of Judah, Leah's fourth son, and he is the true promised son in whom the whole world will be blessed. Because he lived the perfect life we should have lived and died the death that we deserved and rose again, it is in him that in all who believe in him who will be saved. Christ did the work of saving us. Being satisfied in Christ's work on the cross is the only way to be truly satisfied because it is the only work that is enough. Our work is not enough. Our work will never be enough. This is why we must rest in the finished work of Christ. And we, this is also why we should take heart in the fact that salvation does not rest on your shoulders. It rests on the shoulders of the longed-for son, Jesus. And in that, you know, we can find no greater hope than that. So let's pray. Father God, you know, thank you for the finished work of Christ Jesus, Lord. And thank you for choosing to work through us broken people, you know, to accomplish this mission, God. And this just shows your great love for us, Lord. And So God, help us to live lives that are honoring to you because of this, Lord. Help us to find true satisfaction in the finished work of Christ, Lord, and see that ultimately the toil of our own hands amounts to nothing. God, it is in the name of your Son, Jesus, I pray. Amen.